the minute you become part of something, you stop looking at things freshly. You start to see this the way everybody else sees. And what you're trying to do is find different ways of thinking about the environment you're in. If you're not questioning, you're not thinking. And if you're not thinking, you're not able to move the discipline forward. Plus, it's boring. So, you know, on two counts. <laughs> this is Five Places, Los Angeles, a living documentary of the city produced by the LA Forum for Architecture and Urban Design. I'm Emmanuel Bourlier, and in each episode, I ask one interviewee about the five places that define Los Angeles for them. Today, my guest is the wonderful Julie Eisenberg, who is a founding partner of Koning Eisenberg Architecture, has given visibility to the design value and potential of community projects and people-oriented practice. Under her leadership, Koning Eisenberg has earned over 200 design and sustainability awards and has been widely published in the U.S. and abroad. The practice has been honored as AIA California's Firm of the Year, and together with Hank Koning, Julie was recognized with the AIA Los Angeles Gold Medal, the Australian Institute of Architects Gold Medal, an American Academy of Arts and Letters Award, and in 2022, inducted into the National Academy of Design. Julie teaches and lectures around the world and has shared the practice's interests in influential monographs, including Architecture Isn't Just for Special Occasions, which highlights the value of social engagement, and Urban Hallucinations, which examines how the idol of local shapes neighborhoods. During our conversation, Julie references a Joan Didion quote that neither of us could fully remember on the spot. It's included in the outro if you stay with us to the end. Well, Are thank you, you for asking me. It's nice to, to share stories about LA. I'm delighted that you're here and I'm very eager to hear your stories. Let's start by asking how long have you lived in LA and what brought you to LA? I like this question because it's easy. It's just facts. <laughs> yes. uh, I've been here since 1979. It's some 44 years, which is kind of scary because um, it feels like yesterday. Mm. And I, I had times forever as well. And then the what brought you to LA question. So how do I get here? Is it like many things, I kind of fell into it. So I grew up in Australia, first generation Australian. My family is Jewish and emigrated from Eastern Europe before World War II. I went to architecture school in Melbourne, my hometown, and like many of my peers was looking to do the long sojourn overseas before returning and settling down. So that I so I'm going to interrupt that with a preamble to the preamble. So we my husband Hank who came with me to the states and I met in architecture school in 1972 and we were part of the first kind of generation of not high society people looking to do architecture in other words we were first generation Australians and it was a very different kind of community of architects that was starting to emerge there and I think that's interesting for architects here to think about because we are dealing with bringing greater diversity into the profession and uh, I understand how that feels. But anyhow, so that has always kept uh, me honest as I understood what was happening. Anyhow, there was a world recession at that time. So we're now at 1978, 79. 
it looked like it was hard to get work work abroad. So we started looking at graduate schools and that seemed like a good alternative. And as it happened, Hank and I got into a two-year program at UCLA. So two years is an interesting time span. One year doesn't allow you to put down roots that easily, but two mm -hmm. seems like some kind of magic number. Mm -hmm. But anyhow, so we came in spite of all of the advice we got. I wrote it down here. Like before I left, all, all of our friends were telling me, don't go, it's smog, freeways, and ennui. Um, but we, we came anyway. Smog, freeways, and? Ennui, E-N-N-U-I. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's like, okay. And school was great. But LA did at first seem very vast, empty, and inhospitable. We, we didn't know where people were. You couldn't work it out from moving around the city where people hung out. Our perception changed by that magical second year. Uh, I don't know. It's the sunshine. Uh, maybe it was reading Raina Bannum's book on L.A. Anyhow, we drank the Kool-Aid. L.A. was recast as a free-spirited, expansive, and energetic. I don't know exactly how that magic happened, but you can feel it. And I liked being an outsider. It's a creative position that I've talked about many times. So I'm here now. And... Uh, we had the five-year plan. We were going to go back in five years. I'm not sure how many other people have had that plan, and we keep <laughs> extending it. <laughs> so you're at, you're at 44 now. <laughs> yeah. There came a point of political reckoning in the last decade before this, even before Trump, where we realized we had to become citizens mm -hmm. because we were so upset about some of where the country was going that we couldn't really responsibly keep complaining about it and not not to vote so we are now but now uh, citizens of both countries I'm, i made a similar decision to become a yeah. citizen for the same reason uh yeah. yeah this was bush era yeah so um i had and when he when the gore election happened i realized you know this is too much yes and this is wrong Yes, yeah. And, and now what's really strange is that um, Bush looked benign. Isn't it incredible? And so it's, uh, yeah, strange yeah. times. Yeah, he kind of seems like, yes, like a bit of a teddy bear, which is yeah. weird. Weird, very yeah. weird. <laughs> um, and a bit distressing, really. But yep. There it is. Yes. So you've you've always seen yourself as an outsider. Mm -hmm. And yes. after 44 years, do you still retain a, some of that? Yes, because I think the, the minute you become part of something, you stop looking at things freshly. Mm -hmm. You assume that what you're seeing, you start to see this the way everybody else sees. And what you're trying to do is find different ways of thinking about the environment you're in if you're not questioning you're not thinking and if you're not thinking you're not being you're not able to move the discipline forward plus it's boring so you know on two counts <laughs> well i'm i'm so interested to hear about the places that define the city for you i struggled with this because i thought at first it was destinations so i gave up on architectural and cultural landmarks and there's great architecture here. And I didn't want this to be like, mm -hmm. oh, nothing here is good enough. There's incredible buildings here. You know, where else do you get Disney Hall? I mean, 
it's extraordinary and then the Eames house all these other kind of things you the list would go on forever so I I try to sort of I think I riffed on Raina Bannum and said I'm going to look at sort of bigger picture kind of ideas about LA and yeah that's intimidating too because he got it so right it still holds true what he wrote so long ago so all right here's here's mine um beach any bit of beach it's sort of pervasive to the identity of the region and a place that makes me feel at ease. So some people are mountain people. I'm a beach person. I don't need to sit in the sun and get a suntan, but there's something about being on the beach and deep breathing that really helps me unwind and become calm, which clearly I'm not on a regular basis. So it, it's good for me. <laughs> uh, so that's and one. Did you bring that from Australia? Did you already feel connected I don't, to the beach there? I did, but there's something about a California beach which is more windswept than my local beach mm-hmm. in Melbourne. Um, and our family were not big into the the surf beaches. And here it's there is a, I don't know, there's, they say there's ions in the air, right, by the beach. There's something about the ionization of the air that is different than inland. And maybe that's what it is. Plus, the beaches here are huge. The depths, the sand to the water is extraordinary. It's like another land. It really is. Yeah, Yeah. which which can be very tiring when you're with a young child and carrying all the (laughs) things. Yeah, but so worth it. Do you do you have a favorite beach or a few favorites or Um, every? couple of months we go down to the just Santa Monica Beach which is close to us mm. and we say why don't we come here every Friday <laughs> right and uh, we never do it um, so I would say it's probably one of the strongest places in my mind that I think of as a beach maybe because it's so close and uh, don't really have to go that far to get an extraordinary experience do I wish the water was cleaner? Yes. Do you go in? No. <laughs> toes. I'm I'm a toes no, person. It's very cold. That's the problem. Yes. Yes. I've been Hawaii in a few times. is the temperature I need for a beach <laughs> water experience. Yeah. Yeah. It takes some courage to get into the Pacific. It does. It's mm-hmm. funny though, but being on the beach wakes one feel courageous. One feels, you know, in this vast landscape. I'm not, I'm not talking summer days when the place is packed. I'm talking, I guess my favorite time is winter, when it's empty and uh, it's just breathtaking. Yes, it's wonderful. So you're going to ask me for my next one, right? That's topography of hills and plains. So I've blended Raina Bannum's categories and I guess – if I was looking for a place to get a handle on that, it would be from Griffith Observatory, hikes in the mountains, and driving north and east on a clear winter's day when the mountains seem to hit you in the face. I mean, that's amazing how they disappear as a, as the sort of the mist and fog moves in each year and then clear out in the sort of dry, cool winters. And it's like, wow, I, I didn't. You, every time you forget that they're that close. <laughs> and this year has been a particularly exceptional, exaggerated case of, of that condition. Especially with the snow. Yeah. 
uh, we were driving to Ventura after one of those atmospheric rivers, which I started out calling streams, but they are bigger than streams, right? They really are rivers. It's been amazing. And looking at the snow on the mountains was just like, you'd look straight ahead because, you know, you're driving and then the view to the side would just grab you. I was driving north. So it's like, whoa, this is not real. Right. Oh, it's extraordinary. I actually got stuck in the snow. No, um, where? In uh, So we went to San Luis Obispo for a few days. Yeah. And just at the start of that heavy snowfall, we came home. I think it's uh, I-154 that goes up a bit into the mountains. Oh, yeah. And just as we were driving up, we thought, are those snowflakes? And within five minutes of saying, are those snowflakes? We found ourselves on a road with like, I want to say six inches of snow at least. And all the cars were stalled and slipping and the snow was falling. What did you do? Did you turn around? No, we kept going. Everybody was still going, but I mean, we were stopped for a very long time. Yeah. And we just waited or we very, very slowly made our way down. And it, but the surreal quality of it was that, you know, five minutes ago, it was blue skies, few snowflakes. Suddenly we're in this complete jam of Mm -hmm. snow logged road. And then once we got through it, we were back down at the beach and it was blue skies and ocean and sunshine. It was so California. Yeah. Yeah. What a great day. It was. It was amazing. Wow. <laughs> and if you come for a short stay and you don't see that, right? You don't yeah. you don't get it. It's somehow unless you've got both actually, they they're sort of the, their ability to disappear along with them right there. You I I think it's a seminal experience of California it's um well Southern California which gets to the big question where does LA begin and end right and so it's uh I guess it's as far as you feel like going as a day trip I don't know we need a definition because it's nothing to do yeah it's got nothing really to do with you know political boundaries right right and different people edge of LA changes I'm sure Mm -hmm. depending on where they're based Yes, actually, in uh, you know, in an, an earlier podcast, Carolina Miranda interviewed uh, Caribbean Fragosa, who chose yeah. you know Greater LA and was talking about El Monte and uh, 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 the whole topography of the region. So, yes, so, it's kind of ends where we want it to, I guess. See, it's a mythical place, right, with the elusive edges. Exactly. Oh, that's a beautiful way to put it: elusive edges. What comes next? That's two, right? Mm-hmm, topography. Um, topography, yeah. Distinctive and walkable neighborhoods, which is mm-hmm. something that I didn't know about at the beginning and couldn't find. So I live in Santa Monica, which is where I landed when, when we came to L.A. after living by the university for a year. And now I go to Silver Lake often because my son and daughter-in-law live there. And that's got the kind of vitality I remember in Santa Monica in terms of a mix of incomes and backgrounds. Um, uh, Santa Monica is still a great place to live in terms of 
the community assets it has and uh, the quality of life you can have here in terms of a walkable place. But it's done that a little bit by gentrifying a little bit too much. And probably I'm as guilty as anybody else because I'm probably one of them. I mean, so I don't know how to assuage the guilt, but enjoy and, and not criticize. It doesn't seem fair to do both, but it is an extraordinary little town. I mean, well, you have the same problem. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Santa Monica, except it has become more homogenous. We've got to work out yes. how to get it some energy back. And if I went on a real rant, I, I would go on about people's really short memory suddenly about progressive values, about sustainability and the planet. And suddenly it's as if it's all about them and none of this, they're not part of a bigger issue of uh, quality of life that's global and uh, regional and global in terms of responsibility for density in the city that is takes a fair share so we don't keep taking up open space and repercussions that we know environmental practices in one place have on quality of life in others so uh, it blows my mind because we know better all of us uh, maybe it's just fear of change i don't know you're doing work in the city that is making it better you're you're building affordable We're building housing but ha building housing in santa monica there are a lot of people who especially after they've released uh, a lot of the restrictions on uh, housing because santa monica wasn't taking its fair share um feel too exaggerated for many people and they're very worried that the quality of life they've had, they can't have anymore. I have found that every change that's happened in Santa Monica so far, pretty much, I mean, there's buildings I don't like, has meant that the walkability, the more density, the more walkability there is, the more places there are where you replicate little neighborhoods. I mean, I don't know if you remember when the freeway came down, right? in the earthquake and that was the first sort of real uh place where you realized that we were a bunch of neighborhoods people mm -hmm. were talking to each other in the street and then that sort of coincided with the rise of starbucks and then suddenly all of these vacant storefronts started to open up again and uh, have small businesses in them you know it's gone now through covid and online shopping we're seeing sort of a a new era of what that will be. But the small places have have lasted. I mean, Ocean Park there has sort of come back on Ocean Park Boulevard. Yeah. And it's a lovely little spot. Uh Montana, closer to us, is is suffering, but it's it's still a hell of a lot more um businesses and food and whatever than there was when we first came. There was maybe three open storefronts in a half a mile when we got her in the 80s. So uh, there's a change. And I see in uh, Silver Lake where the kids are that all of that sort of old shopping strip along Sunset has really blossomed. Maybe it's just that these places move around. I don't know. It's interesting. But anyway, that was a, a long aside and a ramble. But it's a beautiful uh, choice because people think of LA as this place where you can't get anywhere without your car. It you started know? out as a bunch of small towns that got connected as fingers of urbanization spread and it's re-atomized. You can't get across town anymore in a car, right? Right. Not 
you, we used to go to dinner in the 80s from here to um, Beverly and there was a restaurant I remember up that way. It was Beverly and Vermont, somewhere there. Oh. Didn't think anything of it. Oh. And now you wouldn't would do that on a weekday. No. And so mm -hmm. the replication of these sort of lifestyle amenities, you know, a restaurant, a bakery, uh, you know, all of those things has meant for a better quality of life. And if you were to ask me how much I use my car compared to what I used to, it's a lot, lot less. I can go for days without using the car. Go, You know, I walk to the supermarket now. I walk to the, you know, to go out to dinner. It's not the same. I walk just to go for a walk. Now, that's something that COVID reminded us. Mm -hmm. There's two things that happened. One was that whole deal of counting steps, which suddenly <laughs> said that taking a step wasn't, wasn't something awful, but something you did to be fit and happy, right? So that <laughs> changed it. Oh, I, I need to walk to the supermarket isn't uh, a problem. It's actually an opportunity. And uh, But as there's more people on the street and whatever, it's pleasurable. So walking has become a positive thing rather than the thing I have to do because my car's broken or I don't have a car. And again, I know I'm talking leisure class. I mean, this is this is definitely a first world view of the world, but uh, it's kind of wonderful. But na walkable neighborhoods benefit everyone because yeah, then, and yeah, yeah, exactly. And there are so many good ones. Boyle Heights, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Lincoln Heights, Arts District, yes. Atwater, Mid Wilshire. Pockets of the Valley, like some bits of North Hollywood that I didn't know about earlier on. And uh, I don't know, even we I went to Sierra Madre and walked down their main street. It's like, it's kind of like a thing. Oh, I'll go to, I'll go somewhere and I'll see what it's like. If we're allowed to finger out um, LA to a, to a bigger, to whatever size we like. Yes. Uh, I ended up in West Ventura which has a great little uh, Hispanic community and fantastic uh, taco places. And it's just like, oh, this is beautiful. And so you mean the town of Ventura? Yeah, I think it's called West Ventura. So it was, it's a little finger that between the 33 and the hills, as you come off the coast, which is actually to the south in that location. Yeah, the Cuenavaca Cafe on okay. Ventura Avenue. If you turn off where the Patagonia store is, right, and you go up and Ventura from there, you'll it's quite a funny little valley. Um, apparently, it was all oil wells and stuff like that. It's so it, it was always a working part of town, and uh, there are still live donkeys, you know, the things, the oil drill things in the, in yeah. the area. Yeah. But it was workers' cottages. Uh, it's being transformed. But uh, it's quite interesting. Okay. okay. We did walkable neighborhoods. Yes. And I said they were distinctive too, by the way. It's distinctive and walkable neighborhoods. They're different personalities to so yeah. many of the places of town. It, I know it's sort of portrayed as a place with a sort of a uniformity, but it just isn't. And uh, the closer you look, the more you find. Then my other one you're going to laugh at probably is strip malls. So this outsider thing for me is about immigration. And I've always felt that immigrants add a vitality and energy to cities. And L.A. has always been 
a place of immigrants. And I think it's given it a distinct personality. And as it turns out, over the time I've been here, the opportunity for pe- for many people from from Korea, from Vietnam, from Mexico, from uh, I don't know, go go further south, um, from Guatemala, from whatever, open a restaurant in these malls. And the ones I love the best are Koreatown because the signage is outrageous. Mm. But Lincoln Heights and Monterey Park, I mean, they're not bad either. So to me, it's emblematic. It's not about beauty. I find them fascinating. I love the layer of signage as decoration. It's the sort of the temporal thing that makes something that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've always been interested in in those kind of ephemeral aspects to urban form and uh, architecture. Hard to build in from the start, but wonderful when they get taken over. So. It's got to be Koreatown has got to be the best set of malls that you can get in terms of the signage. The buildings are completely generic, but there's always people there, and they're usually two, three stories. You know, so it's the one-story ones. They're okay, but the, they get tall, and everything has to have a sign, and it's a, a sign, and the sign is never in English, so it's it's decoration for me. To look at it's like look at this it's so pretty and uh you can sort of get past seeing what you're meant to be reading to just seeing it as a graphic thing so that mm-hmm. gets back to this issue of like um trying to look at things in a way that doesn't come with the prejudices of belonging to a, a value system that tells you what you're meant to be thinking or how you're meant to read stuff and sometimes that's a way in to offer something more than what's expected. So yeah. that's strip malls. The last one is a, is a depressing one, but you can't escape it at this point in time, and that's the homeless encampments. Mm-hmm. Now, they're very, very disturbing, and it just makes us makes me feel so helpless. I mean, we work so much in affordable housing, and, we've, uh, and many of our peers and friends also do, mm-hmm. and yet to see it keep escalating, and become a bigger and bigger problem is is heartbreaking. And I put it in there as a reminder that you can't just look at what's pretty, you have to look at what's what's real. For me, that is a constant reminder. It's very true. Um, It feels Sisyphean. You know, I see your Mm -hmm. firm doing great work and other firms doing great work, and yet... It you just can't like, push it up. Yeah. Yeah. We're that boulder just keeps hill. getting heavier. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I do. I hope that we'll be able to change the situation, but it does feel very disheartening right now. And it's also, you know, architects, we like to feel that we can change the world. Um, we can create opportunities, but we can't do it without being part of the biggest system so you have to contribute in more ways than just building buildings it's it's advocacy it's building a roof is not the only thing that's going to have to happen to put this right but if we're going to build we may as well build it well yes yes exactly and do the best we can and give the most opportunity for the people um, who get to use it have you been doing some advocacy work as well i'm not as uh 
generous as I should be. It's my partner, Brian Lane and Nathan Bishop have been doing a hell of a lot of work through the AIA and other venues to um, get policy changed in LA. And uh, so that that's been really good to see. I've been retreating as, as I've got older. It's like, and I may be COVID. I'm an extrovert, as you know, by, yeah. by nature. I've been surprised how much I've enjoyed the alone time that COVID mm-hmm. gave. I, I hadn't realized how nice alone time was. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a, a change for me. Yeah. That's, I hear so much about how, you know, and then introverts say it in this kind of guilty way, like, cause yeah. you know, we know the, the pandemic caused so much suffering for so, so many. much pain. Yeah. But for introverts, there was this kind of silver lining. You're the first extrovert I've heard say that. Yeah, so you- now, so now I'm a part-time extrovert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it's pretty funny. The so five. okay, here are the five again. Yeah, the beach, topography of hills and plains, uh, distinctive and walkable neighborhoods, strip malls, and homeless encampments. I mean, that's really LA. All mixed up in a blender. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the discovery in this talk was this idea of where LA ends, which I had hadn't thought about, and I think bears more more thinking. I would almost argue that it comes all the way up. To venture a county. Given that I live in Santa Monica, my edge is sort of a a hemisphere, right? So mm-hmm. north and south are a big deal to me. And then there's the inland radius. But, you know, I can't go west except by boat. So, you know, and that's Australia. You know, you go far enough and south enough. Right. Same ocean. Yeah. There you go. So. Getting back to the strip malls just for a moment, do you have a yeah. favorite strip mall restaurant? Or Yes, Parks Barbecue. Have you been to that one? No. It's very good. Is it Korean? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's there's the ones that I don't remember the name of, but we pull up in front of, you know, at different times, but I couldn't tell you actually yeah. where we were. I don't pay attention to names well enough or roots of, of how I got there. I think I must zone out in a car between things. Mm-hmm. That was one of the first things that really struck me about LA was that not only were people willing to drive 40 minutes and take two or three different freeways to go for dinner, but yeah. half the time they'd be going to a strip mall. Yep. You know, because there's this great little Japanese place in some strip mall next to a laundromat and it's the best food you've ever had. And this was happening before Jonathan Gold. It was Jonathan Gold who basically allowed that community to understand that it was a community with a shared interest, right? Otherwise, we were just idiots driving around town (laughs) on the recommendation, you know, word of mouth from somebody, right? And, uh, yeah, and then he created a community out of food here and a respect for uh, ethnic diversity, which – I think has a run-on effect far outside food itself. For sure. So yeah, it's That's a good thing. Yeah. I would have put freeways down, except I do actually think that having been here this long, after being sort of overwhelmed by the the form of them when we first came and yeah. the enormity, 
it is a place where I just zone out. So, you know, if you, the Joan Didion thing of sort of uh, the freeway drive, it's maybe she's right. You sort of, it's a place to sort of disappear really. Right. It's, There's that yeah. short story. I can't remember which it was right. About being on an LA freeway. It was very vivid about being in a car on a freeway. And uh, I'm going to look for it. This is going to sound odd, although maybe yeah. you'll understand, but her writing is so, um, sometimes it affects me too much. I have to mm -hmm. be careful. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's visceral and, and yet it's so spare. Yes. And when and she it's wrote kind the, of funny, go on. What was she wrote about, you know, the year of magical thinking about yeah. her husband passing away. I can't read that book. Um, no. Well, I, I lost my father when I was quite young. And so, and I'm also, I'm very, I'm, I guess I'm very sensitive. <laughs> so yeah. it's like the topic of grief, like I have to be careful how much I delve. You can't wade in. Do you have the same thing with movies? That oh, well? yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, my so goodness. I have, I have that when children are in danger. So I can't yes. watch movies and I find it really difficult to read books where kids are really yeah. in danger I have to skip the sections I know roughly what's going to happen I just have to I can't I can't yeah. stick in them yeah so I know what you're saying yes well I I can identify with that as well I'm I'm sensitive in a few areas <laughs> it makes life challenging okay so yeah that's what you and I share we're both wimps <laughs> <laughs> that is the last word I would have used to describe you though Julie <laughs> oh yes I'm a wimp so that's funny well so I do I do want to ask you, you've lived here, I mean, 44 years is a long time. Yeah. You've said you still feel you've still got the outsider quality, but having mm -hmm. observed the city for that long, is there anything in particular about its evolution? Well, I'll go back to this issue of the the city atomizing again from being a collection of small towns to again being a collection of small towns, which has makes for a village lifestyle more or less, or the opportunity for village lifestyle. And I think the air has got a lot cleaner. I yes. mean, people are now looking again at Pasadena and the inner suburbs, which we were all nervous about when we came to LA in the 70s to put roots down mm -hmm. because everyone was worried about the air quality. I mean, and value and property values reflected that, but it's coming back because the air quality has improved and the, the landscape and the uh, the neighborhoods out there are beautiful. So oh, th there's that that is a big change. Mm -hmm. And walking, as I said, is uh, it's a it's a walking city now, and it's choice. There were very few food choices when we first got here. It was well, it was all about dressings: ranch, Thousand Island, or <laughs> oil and vinegar. Those were your choices. <laughs> but, yeah, something like that. And then, what beer do you want? Buds, Miller Lite. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's like, and, and you couldn't find anything else. I mean, Trader Joe's was so huge yeah. um, that you could actually get imported cheese. Mm. And uh, Wait, yeah. when though? This is 1979. We oh, were really? students to buy food for uh, a party at UCLA. And that's how we found Trader Joe's. They told us to go there. And we were astounded because we hadn't found anything like yeah. that the supermarkets had a very limited choice of of things um that has all opened up i'm i'm still a sucker for the la landscape which is mixes indigenous australian trees with 
fantastic scrubby natural environment. And I think we're protecting it better. I worry that we keep losing Greenfield for urban development. And what's the name of the guy who died recently, who's been telling us this for years, who taught at uh, SIA, Mike Davis, how right he was. Yes. Uh, and we're still not really listening well enough to the lessons in that. So that's interesting. Well, again, some things are bigger than just LA that influence your life and the, the separation between points of view mm-hmm. and less ability to be able to talk across political lines in a way that's productive. That I find sad. I, I have an antidote to that. The art I've been seeing, you know, has been, is wonderful. The mm-hmm. access to art and other things like that in the city just keeps growing. And we've made friends. I mean, I, you know, there's a warm, fuzzy spot forever mm-hmm. for LA, right? Once yeah. you, and like I said, that beginning, like once you've, once you've taken that Kool Aid, it's, uh, <laughs> even if you leave, right? Mm hmm. Yes. It, it sits there with you. So it becomes a good friend in itself, right? Yeah, that's a that's a lovely way to put it. If you could ask somebody about the five places that define would, LA for them, who would that be? Th- this is this is tough. This is like identifying the popular person in high school. So l- let me think of it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should do something that's less particular. Mm-hmm. I'd like to ask a high school student. I'm so goes, glad you said that. I'd like to ask a high school student who goes to a public LA high school how they see the world. Actually, I'd like to ask more than one and from more than one high school. Yes. I mean, what are we actually offering these kids in terms of how they think about themselves in the city at this point in time? Because they're our future. And uh, I, I think it's hard to be a kid in LA, yeah. have an identity. Uh, people struggle about being different. I have a different attitude to being different and possibly because I'm not as different as others, right? I don't know how all that works. I'm thrilled that you said that. That was when I initially pitched the premise for the podcast. Yeah. Um, when I first joined the forum, mm-hmm. I made a list of people I thought would be interesting to interview and I included students. Yeah. I also said grandparents. You know, I yeah. thought like, Let's really get a, a broad range of people. So yep. people from different professions, different backgrounds, immigrants, natives, but also a difference in in age. And yeah. Right. And and outside of the design community, I think we yes. look at our navels a bit. And yes. uh, it's uh, we need to remember that we're just we're basically as a, a small village, you know. <laughs> in our own community, no matter if we're geographically spread around the town. I mean, we all turn up at the same event and we're all wearing black. And it's <laughs> you know, there's something going on that is a shared sort of uh, set of values and stuff. So, yeah. yeah. I actually would love it not to be an architect or a design community's yes. kid. Yes. We've got to get out of, you know, out of ourselves. Well, actually, I mean, I know a lot of, skater kids there you go yeah I mean, maybe a skater that'd be great yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um and yes yeah, so what I meant to say when you were struggling to choose a plus one yeah. is that there are many ways we can do this because 
it's wonderful if the person I interview then conducts the next interview because it, it, yeah. it's just, a, you know why. I mean, it just, you know, adds. that's a wonderful, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can visualize that. That's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Right? It's a mandala uh, of like yeah. sort of extension. Yep. If you're concerned about leaving any of your friends out, feel free to let me give me a whole list. Well, again, that's like a, that's for... like a party list. So, you know. <laughs> Thank you so much, Julie. See you later. It's been lovely. Bye. <laughs> Bye. After our conversation, I looked up the Joan Didion quote and found it in the White Album. Didion writes, quote, the freeway system is the only secular communion Los Angeles has. Mere driving on the freeway is in no way the same as participating in it. Anyone can drive on the freeway, and many people with no vocation for it do, hesitating here and resisting there, losing the rhythm of the lane change, thinking about where they came from and where they're going. Actual participants think only about where they are. Actual participation requires a total surrender, a concentration so intense as to seem a kind of narcosis, a rapture of the freeway. The mind goes clean, the rhythm takes over." End quote. To learn more about Julie's work and the people and places mentioned in this conversation, please check out the show notes. To hear more stories of the places that define Los Angeles, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the show, you can make a real difference by giving us a rating, a review, or sharing it with friends. Five Places is produced by Anneli Garakani, Quinn Wynn, and me, Emmanuel Bourlier, for the LA Forum for Architecture and Urban Design. We recorded on Chumash, Tongva, and Mekinakan land. Thank you for listening.